Today, I talk with Aaron Beard about the word apologetic. In our churches, we love to use big words. We obfuscate our pedagogy through superfluous grandiloquence, manifesting hubris instead of demureness. See what I mean? Inconceivable. While I might have a speech impediment, I certainly do not want to have a preach impediment. These get in the way of God's message reaching our hearts and minds. Let's dig through those big words and learn something incredible. Before we get started in today's topic, let me remind you to go and check out EdenHollow.com. This is the company I started to start publishing some Bible study guides and spiritual books, but we're starting to branch out into some fiction and even talking to some other authors. We'd love to have you check out what's going on at EdenHollow.com. Now let's jump into today's episode. Aaron Beard is a fellow preacher in the Birmingham area. He actually worked for a church that's just down the street from where I am ministering, and he and I have struck up quite a friendship in the past several years. He's been in this area since 2004 and actually grew up in this area. So this is home for him, and he loves the people here, and the people love him. He does a great job serving God in this community. He is a chaplain, and he does other community works like he is deeply involved in the soccer clubs here in town. Uh, but above all of that, he just loves serving people and serving God. And he loves talking to people about who God is and why he believes in God. And so when I was thinking about the word apologetics, I of course thought of Aaron, because this is something he has a particular passion for. Let's go ahead and jump in. The two largest sections in my library, my, my church library, are history and apologetics, because I love reading about apologetics. Uh, it's a great word. Let's, let's begin there. Let's start with a definition of the word apologetics. What does it mean? Okay, if I was to put a label on it, I would say that apologetics is the practice of making reasonable, rational, logical arguments for something. And in this case, we're talking about... Um, Genesis 1, our faith in God. So we would say reasonable, rational, logical arguments for the existence of God and the creation account of Genesis 1. Over the years, the uh, discussion of evidences of apologetics, the debate over creation versus evolution has meant a lot to me. And that really goes back to when I was doing the preaching internship down in Montgomery. When I started out there, I was uh, 20 one or 22 years old, and I began to really struggle with my faith. It's really hard to get up in the pulpit and preach a sermon or teach a Bible class when you're beginning to have doubts about whether God even exists. And that's what I was going through. And I would get up and I would preach about heaven and I'd preach about hell and I would preach about the Bible. And all the while, as I'm saying those things, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, am I even sure that there is a God? Am I even sure there is um, absolute truth in the Bible and all of those things. And really the reason why I began to have all of these doubts is I've always loved science. I've always loved animals. And I really remembered some of the things that I was taught in high school and college specifically and the evidences that were given there for evolution. And in the back of my mind, I knew if those things were true, 
there was no way the Bible could also be true. And some of the things that the evolutionists were teaching completely contradicted Genesis 1. And I was really struggling. I was struggling hard. And I will say on top of that, I was also having some personal struggles in my own life, and I think the two were connected. Um, but the way I began to handle that is I began to do some research on my own. I did some digging, and I just spent a lot of time studying the arguments of creation, the arguments of evolution, looking at the evidences and looking at particularly the things that posed a problem for me that I remembered being taught in school. And what I walked away with was a faith that was more confirmed and established than ever had been before. I began to realize that to a great extent, the evidences that I had been taught for evolution were either greatly exaggerated or complete fabrications on some of them, and that the evidences for creation in Genesis 1 had just been completely ignored. What's interesting is I went to a, I went to schools that were largely, at least until college, were largely um, not Christian schools, but the teachers were mainly believers in God. But they were just following the curriculum, and they were just teaching what was in the textbooks. And so I don't know that they intended to do that, but it posed a real problem for me. And so it's kind of become a little bit of a hobby of mine simply because I want to help other people not have the same struggle I did or help walk people through the struggle that I had. Probably one of those, I don't want to say it's a church word because it's not a church word, it's a science word, but it is one of those words that maybe um, because of the way it's used, I don't find myself using it very often simply because it sounds very um, technical, uh, very scholastic, and in most of the conversations that I have with people, they're simply not you know, you just talk about giving giving reasons for what you believe or giving an answer for what you believe, and that's really more, um, that connects more with people. So if we're talking about giving a defense, uh, what are, at least in your experience, what are some ways in which you have been forced to give a defense for, whether that be, as you mentioned earlier, your belief in God or Genesis 1, uh, what are ways in which you have found yourself needing to defend what you believe? So I, I will say for the most part, and I think partially it's because of uh, living in, you know, the suburbs of Birmingham, Alabama, I don't run into people who are being combative to me for my faith in God. Most people that I'm going to talk to are people who have some working um, belief in God in some way, shape, or form. The evolutionists that I have ran into are usually pretty slow to talk about their belief because they know that in this area they're in the vast minority. And so I'm not running into, oh, I've got to convince that person or that person is trying to overthrow my faith. I'm not running into that. First of all, as I mentioned a few moments ago, my need to defend it has been to myself first and foremost. There's a lot of messages in our culture that are very loud, whether it's in movies or books. Uh, you can't pick up a book about dinosaurs and read it to your kids without having evolution thrown in there. You can't watch a, a movie like Ice Age without having evolutionary thought thrown in there. And, and as a result, I find myself having to reinforce it to myself because 
as you soak that stuff in and absorb it, it begins to have an impact on you. I find myself explaining it to my children who run into the teaching in school, whether it's from teachers who are pushing the agenda or not, they're still going to run into it in the material. I think the place that I run into it the most is in dealing with my work as a chaplain, talking to first responders, uh, people that have been dealing with the underbelly of society for a long time. Um, talk about in the police force, they say at, at year 10, they're ready to retire. You enjoy it for five years, and then at year 10, you're done. And on the fire side, dealing with tragedy and dealing with, you know, just picking up pieces of people sometimes is really tough. And those guys will sometimes run through the process in their mind of if God is real, how could this happen? If God is real, why did this happen? And so I find myself giving defenses in that more and more and talking to those men about the reality of God because life causes them to question it. And I think that's not just true for them, but that's also true for the average churchgoer, the, the Christian who sits in a pew on Sunday and Wednesday night, and they go through tough times. They get a diagnosis of cancer, their loved ones struggling with Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, and some of those same thoughts will creep through our minds for sure. So I, I find it interesting because you, you, you brought up several different areas just in that explanation that apologetics really is concerned about. It's not just concerned about evidences or how do you explain the evidence like you would maybe with an evolutionist who is looking at scientific data and here's one way to explain the scientific data and then we're coming at it from a Christian perspective and trying to come up with a different way or what we would consider a more true way to explain the scientific data that matches the biblical record. But then there's the, the flip side of it where it's not just about data, but it's about experience. And so there's, you know, all of us have faced tragedy or we've watched people we love face tragedy and we want explanations for that. And that requires us to look for answers. We're looking for how do you explain why all these evil or awful things are happening? In my conversations with people on that front, we could spend a lot of time trying to chase down the answer to why. Why is this happening? Why is this happening? If God is, if God is there, why is this happening? And I have found that my conversations tend to go back to reinforcing that there is a God. And it almost turns into the same conversation that I would have with a, a an evolutionist who doesn't believe in God at all to explain to them why I believe that there is a God or why I believe evolution doesn't uh, give a good definition for explanation for life. But the evidences are the same. The faith needs to be reaffirmed when it gets shaken by life's experiences. I'll give you a case in point biblically. Um, think about the, the book of Job and the experiences of Job. Job goes through incredible tragedy in life that from a physical point of view, not looking at what was happening behind the scenes, but from a physical point of view, he was losing just about everything and going through suffering that's just almost unimaginable to me. And when God finally speaks up and gives Job maybe a, a little bit of an answer, he's not explaining why it happened, but he answers Job, God spends all of the time talking about how he created all of these things and he controls all of these things. And so that's even what God does with Job. God 
almost takes Joe back to Genesis 1 and say, I was there, I made it, I created it, I designed it, I sustain it, I control it, so that Job's faith would be reinforced to God. And so when I'm in those moments and people are asking those questions that emerge from tragedy, I try not to get into the whys because I just don't know the why. But just because there's tragedy in life doesn't mean that God isn't there. So I go back to, is there a God? And once we reinforce that God is, then we start talking about some of the whys. And there are answers for that, but you got to go back to, is God real or not? And then go to the whys. And the point that I make when we talk about this is if you don't have faith in God, you know, and this isn't the linchpin of evidences of apologetics. This is just the practical side of it. But if you don't have faith in God and something greater than yourself and and something greater than this moment, tragedy comes, it, it is meaningless. It is empty. There is nothing to hold on to. And so having that awareness, that understanding that God also suffered goes a long way. Yeah. Well, and that, you know, that same context, First Peter chapter 3, um, verse 13 down through 17. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that when you're accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. Fourth, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And so just the idea there, that the, it seems the context there of being able to give a defense for what you believe is the context of even in the midst of suffering, hold on to what you believe because that is what brings you comfort. It's interesting that the whole concept that we usually make about, the idea that we usually make about apologetics from the Bible does come from the context of suffering. The idea of being ready to give an answer for the a reason for the faith that is in us, hope that is in us, comes from, I'm going through a lot of stuff, I'm going through a lot of trials, I'm going through suffering, I'm being persecuted. And usually when we talk about apologetics, we talk about it apart from suffering, apart from tragedy. And, you know, it's probably a tragedy that we talk about it that way. You know, if, if you've had a conversation with somebody that believes differently than you, but they come from a, a Christian background, but they believe something different than you about the Bible, and you've got your verse and they've got their verse and you're throwing your verse at them and they're throwing their favorite verse at you and it's just back and forth. And at the end of the day, it's like, we just spent 30 minutes arguing about this. We got nowhere. And the exact same thing happens when you're dealing with evolution and you've got some really strong, if you if you spend time looking at it, you've got some really strong evidences for um, creation and God and the Genesis narrative. And they're going to believe that they have really strong evidences for their cause, too. And it gets very emotional, and it becomes just a back and forth, a, almost like you're just firing bullets at each other, just back and forth, back and forth. And there's a reason why that doesn't get anywhere most of the time. And if we can make it practical, if we can make it personal, and if we can help them think through the implications of it, sometimes people will open their minds a little bit more. So this brings up to my mind Hebrews 11, verse 6. 
You know, now without faith, it's impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him, and here's the two things, must believe that he is. So there's the, the believing in the, in the, the, you know, the fact and that he rewards those who seek him. So there's the reason. There's the purpose. You must believe in this fact because of this reason. Uh, and so you kind of have both sides of the coin there. Going off of what you just said, I find it interesting that there are probably just as many people in the world who believe that he isn't, and they have a reason that's not just data, but an actual practical yeah. personal reason for refusing to believe that he is. And if all we're discussing is whether he is or whether he isn't, and we're not discussing the why we believe he is, not the data, but the practical, personal uh, you know, reasons for or motivation behind why we believe uh, or why we don't believe, we're never going to actually change anybody's mind. And I would say this, when we begin to talk about the the why, you know, you believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. Um, when you start talking about the practical ramifications of a faith in God, that God rewards, God is good, there is a heaven, there is life after this one, we're not just dealing with I thinks, I feel, um, it's in my heart, it's better felt than told. When we're talking with evolutionists, talking with atheists, and we begin the discussion about not only do I believe that there's reasons to believe in God, uh, my desk that I'm sitting at right now is completely covered in information for that very topic as I was thinking about this discussion today. There's plenty of evidence out there. But as we begin to talk about why God is good and why God rewards and why there is a heaven. The scriptures also give us evidence to trust that God is faithful, evidence to trust that God rewards, evidence to trust that God is there with us, that he never leaves us or forsakes us. And some of these stories that we read about, that we love as kids, you think about the children of Israel conquering Canaan, David and Goliath, um, Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The, the list could just go on infinitely. These stories make up the evidence for why we believe that God rewards, right? So not only is faith that God exists reasonable, rational, and logical, but faith that God rewards is also reasonable, rational, and logical. It is not a blind leap. It is not just wishful thinking, but it is very real and tangible and concrete. When you have these conversations with people, they've got their reason and I've got mine. We don't want them to be dismissive of our evidence. One of the most frustrating things that I have found in talking with evolutionists, especially in the academic setting is the dismissiveness of any scientist and any scientific study that takes a creationist point of view. There is a lot of dismissiveness of that. I also have to be careful when I'm coming into that conversation that I'm being, I'm not being dismissive of their point of view and dismissive of their evidence. I think this gets into what Solomon said in Proverbs about answer a fool according to his folly. Do not answer a fool according to his folly. I've got to be very careful in how I respond. And what's really fascinating is you have conversations with 
evolutionists and atheists is they'll bring things up. And sometimes you'll be like, I haven't really thought of that before. And then you'll go in and you'll dig into it. And what you, I have found that I have discovered is I go in and I dig into it. And I find that that piece of evidence actually better supports the Genesis narrative than it does the general theory of evolution narrative. Uh, bacteria was one of those. The first time I ran into the argument for evolution from bac- bacteria, I was like, boy, that is convincing. And I can see why they use it. And I'm not sure how I'd answer that. And then I dug into it and studied it. And next thing you know, you're like, you know what? That doesn't really pose a problem for cr- the creation account. In fact, it really does more to support it than it does to oppose it. So e- even early on in a discussion with an evolutionist, I-, I will tell them, I do believe in survival of the fittest. And I do believe in natural selection. I just don't believe that those two things provide a good explanation for the origination of life and the picture of life as we see it today. One of the great things about talking with Aaron about apologetics is that he not only came ready for a discussion about why apologetics matters, which is what I shared with you today, but he also came equipped with dozens of examples from nature, dozens of evidences that show that the typical secular view and explanation really doesn't make sense when you look at the nature around us that screams out that there is a God. If you ever get a chance, reach out to Aaron Beard and have him give you some of those evidences. They are really fascinating and wonderful. And if we had just had time to really explore those, those would have been uh, really an awesome opportunity to to dig deeply into our faith. I hope what I did share with you today has allowed you to think deeply about why you believe what you believe and being ready to give a defense to others whenever they ask you why you believe those things, especially in light of the suffering we see in our world. There are so many tragedies that happen in our country and people get very upset, uh, rightly so, whenever those tragedies occur. But we don't have a right to really get upset with God because God is the solution to the tragedies, not the cause of them. And so we need to make sure that we are uh, having a, a deeper appreciation for what God has done and sending his son Jesus as a solution to our sin and as a reason to stop sinning, which would prevent so much of the difficulties and sufferings that we face in this world. Those difficulties of life shouldn't draw us away from God. They should draw us to God. And I hope that this particular podcast episode has helped you with that. If you've got questions or anything we can help you with, we encourage you to reach out to us at EdenHollow.com or look us up on PreachImpediments.com. You can find ways to contact us at either of those places. We also hope you'll sign up for our newsletter if you go to preachimpediments.com. There in the top corner, there is a place to sign up for a newsletter. And if you'll do that, we have a special attachment that we will put on our newsletter this month that is going to help you as you listen to Preach Impediments. You can use this attachment, I'm calling it an interactive supplement, as a way of turning Preach Impediments into a whole week Bible study that is good for adults and children alike. So if you would like to get a copy of that, reach out to us there. 
and we will attach it to that newsletter. We want to help you, and we want to help you study and dig deeper and have a better understanding of the things that the scriptures teach. And if we can do that, help us know how to do that for you. Until next time.